kind of pity to us. <laughs> wow. And there's a lot of managers to us. The, the rent is almost one dollar. The sound of young people talking about connectivity and the issues they face every day. Sanbonani, Mulweni, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Talking Tech for Good podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship, in collaboration with our partners, Capacitate. We're passionate about helping you understand the possibilities of tech and social impact organizations. Never have we had to adapt so quickly, and we know this can be overwhelming. We're here to have conversations answer some pertinent questions, and hopefully we can all move towards harnessing the power of tech for a better world. What are some of the most challenging um, things that you've found when it comes to connectivity and being able to get online? If you guys can just share with me as young people. My biggest challenge with connectivity, I would say it's the stability of the internet. I am fortunate in that at home, we have unkept Wi-Fi. And the biggest issue is the internet being unstable most of the time. Uh, connecting now to internet is very difficult nowadays because everything that you do, we have to go online, uh, maybe searching for a job, you have to do it online, applying for school, we have to do it online. Then we find it that it's very difficult for us because we, most of us are employed youth, so we can't afford it. It's very expensive. If like you call to like a family, you know, or yes, you how to access internet. Maybe if you say, "Wow, but Abba Banyan, Oba Sakula is by educating us, man is babonis." And then he links for everything. We have to use the links. They are complicated, and then the more the more you struggle, the more time it takes for you to finish whatever it is you're doing. Mr. Bygate, my partner in crime, how are you doing? How's this month been treating you? 2021 has been a bit crazy, hasn't it? Uh, my esteemed colleague, indeed it has. It's, uh, I think we're reaching that time of the year where everyone is feeling the pressure. I think the, the cumulative effects of lockdown and, and the pandemic are really starting to, to bring some pressure onto everyone's shoulders. And I think certainly hearing those voice notes just uh, adds a, <laughs> a little extra flavor to all of the things that we need to fix um, across the country. How are you doing, my esteemed colleague? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing well. I started my day off with, with a few cups of coffee, so I'm sort of bouncing in my seat as we go. Uh, really looking forward to today's conversation. I know we, you and I are going to be sinking our teeth into the issues of connectivity today, which, which, which allows us to also be a little bit more challenging and, and, and angry, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm glad you said angry because I, I'm, I'm really itching to dig into this topic. You know, given some of the, the, the literature and the, the media articles, it, it really is an issue that is um, increasingly relevant um, and certainly a, a barrier for more and more people that are trying to navigate this, this new normal that COVID has brought about. Um, but certainly it's really just an extension of the conditions that we, we know have been um, in place for quite some time. And certainly there, there should be a lot more that's being done to allow young people in particular to get access to the internet and to be able to use it um, to find work, to improve their skills, and really just to to navigate this digital world that we live in. Yeah, I mean, 
technology has often been used as an equalizer or been referred to as an equalizer. But in 2018, StatsSA found that many South Africans, just over 60%, have access to internet through their mobile devices. However, less than 10% of South Africans have access to internet at home. The numbers are even more dire when one considers rural areas. Jason, what are your thoughts on what has been dubbed the digital divide in South Africa? Well, uh, as you know, this is a, a subject that I'm particularly passionate about. And I think notwithstanding what the stats say, uh, the, the problem is not really even vaguely accurately reflected when looking at the numbers. And I think as we've seen from those voice notes, it, it really translates into a, a really significant impact on, on young people's lives. And that digital divide um, has certainly been accentuated um, in many ways by the pandemic. So migrating into digital services and being able to access content online for so many South Africans, both young and old, that is just not even a vague possibility, uh, both because of the access to the internet, whether it be devices or um, internet itself, um, or because of the costs of, of data. And those really haven't changed enough in the, in the last decade. Uh, the, the government has made some... Uh, I suppose, paid arbitrary lip service to driving the, the data costs down. But given where we're sitting on the, the global scale of cost, it, it really just is not acceptable to have so many people that need to be online that just can't get online. And when we're talking about the digital divide, yeah, access is one thing. And we definitely need to drive access as a starting point. But we also need to start unpacking what we're doing with that access, because it's not just about getting online to, I don't know, feed the Facebook monster or um, humor the, 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 the Twitter trolls. Um, it's really about how we're using that connectivity to be productive. And when we're looking at a, a youth unemployment rate, which is climbing over 75%, uh, when you start counting in not just those young people that are not in employment, um, educational training, but also those that have just simply given up. And the digital economy really represents such an amazing opportunity for young people to become productive members of society. But they can't do that without the internet. They can't do that without the skills to be productive. So really it's the, that digital divide and, and the gap that we see in particular in South Africa, where we have such vast levels of inequality, it's, it's really an issue that we need to start dealing with aggressively. And I think, I mean, Lavoya, you and the, the team at the Bertha Center working on the ground with youth have seen this play out really, really specifically. What have, what have your impressions been of how this um, issue is really reflected in the, in the lives of young people? Oh man, it's it's as as you could get a sense from the voice notes. It's something that that they live with and that they have to interact with and engage with every day. Um, particularly those young people who who maybe who fall maybe within the twenty five percent, or actually that wouldn't make sense in terms of my stats. Sorry, Jason, Matt isn't my strong suit, but those who aren't necessarily <laughs> <laughs> those who aren't necessarily discouraged. Um, there's a lot of appetite to try and engage online. But once they're there, a lot of young people are starting to feel overwhelmed, which is what one of the, one of the, one of the participants who mentioned, mentioned in the voice notes, 
there's there's this assumption I think that a lot of us have that young people as well are just internet savvy and know what to look for. And I think particularly if I think about myself, those of us who come from a more privileged background, we don't realize just how comfortable we are with navigating an online space. And I think that when we're engaging with, with young people, one also needs to take that skills capacity side of, of navigating an online space into consideration. I would also like to say that in terms of the wider digital divide, for, for, for most of us, I know inequality is something that's at the heart of our society. And, and for the most part, it's, it's seen to be the have-nots and, and the haves, just broadly speaking. But for those of us working within the social impact space, the majority of us, I would hope, are focusing on those communities that don't necessarily or would be considered to be the haves. So across that, it's, it's individuals who are, who, who are consistently struggling with connecting online. And I think one also needs to take into consideration the difference between urban situated youth and rural situated youth. I know that sometimes we don't like to refer to some of our young people living in, in, in the, some of the communities we work in as privileged, but at least they may have an internet cafe down the road. There may be a Wi-Fi sort of, there may be a library where one can hop onto, onto, onto free Wi-Fi. Those operating in rural spaces, they don't have any of that. And, and one also needs to, when, in, when having this conversation, think about how we need to make connectivity accessible to all. And uh, I think that's, that's kind of at the heart of, 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 of why we want to push this conversation forward. Yeah. No, I think you're 100% correct. And certainly there's, there's a, a very wide gap when it comes to those urban and, and rural settings. I think for me also there's a real concern as we're driving this, um, this issue of access that having the gap in place actually prevents um, young people from being able to upskill. My concern is that we've gonna, we're going to reach a point where we've got um, a fairly significant amount of access, but really what we're starting to drive is not digital productivity. We're actually just driving another level of consumerism, so digital consumerism, where young people and, I mean, indeed, the, the whole of society are consuming more and more content online, but it's actually not adding value. And if you think about um, the plethora of of inane content that exists across social media and how that can suck you in and um, chew your time without anything productive coming of it. In fact, in, in most cases, it's it's also negative. I think really we need to focus on both elements of, of bridging that digital divide, achieving access, but also making sure that we're making the best use possible of that access. And that's before we even begin to think about the third dimension of that digital divide, which is the dilution of culture. You know, if um, if we're looking at where all of that content is coming from, the major role that um, the American market plays in defining the things that we talk about and the way that we talk about things and the, the point of reference that we have for what's important, there's also a real risk of us diluting the the rich culture that we have across the world. And certainly in South Africa, where culture is a really important part of our identity, we need to start now aggressively looking at how we protect that culture and ensure that we're not not just absorbed in this collective, um, homogenous Facebook, Twitter entity where we're all seen as the same and and, um, are all using a a digital frame of reference for what's important and, and also who we are. 
I mean, you mentioned some really important points. And I mean, uh, you mentioned being a troll on Twitter and going on Facebook. It's almost as though you've been searching through my internet history. But uh, (laughs) as you mentioned, it's, 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 it's it's, it's almost one needs to deal with this from two angles, not only getting people online, but making sure that once they're online, they're sort of accessing the the right information. I remember a few years back through the Western Cape Education Department when they were rolling out sort of these, 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 um, uh, they were trying to get every school online essentially and have a computer in every room. I remember thinking to myself, okay, that's only one piece of the puzzle with the conversation that needs to go hand in hand with that is what is the content and what is the type of stuff that the young people are going to be engaged with once they're on? And not just as simple as putting a Facebook blocker or a Twitter blocker, but thinking a lot more about the way in which we direct young people in, to, to, to sort of information. And the thing about young people as well, that it's also something tricky is that they need to feel as though they're making that decision themselves. Otherwise, you don't want to turn the online space to them as just a, another class and thing or space for them where they're just being forced to do certain things. I think we should also try create a space for them to explore as much as possible. I mean, as much as the internet is this, can be a dark, scary place, there's also really amazing opportunities for learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up that, that um, learning online because there is a really great opportunity. And just revisiting the, the podcast that we co-hosted with the, the Civitech team in Africa, one of the, the key opportunities is in leveraging platforms and systems to be productive. And it's not, it's not really about learning how to code or you know, becoming a, a data scientist. Cause I mean, that's, that's one of the key agendas that's being pushed is oh, we must, uh, must produce thousands of software developers and coding. And it's like, man, that bus has left. It's, it's left the station and it's it's already arrived in India and Brazil and Eastern Europe, and we missed it. Okay, and uh, the bus is now almost full. Um, we can run after it. It's going to be exhausting and expensive. So how do we innovate? How do we how do we do things differently? And given the way that technology is evolving, there's so many platforms that we could be leveraging. Um, in particular, you know, low and no code platforms to be productive. So I think it's really about shifting our mindset. And I know you were talking earlier about um, how do we achieve access? We've got most people that are only seeing the internet on their mobile phone for the first time. And Africa's got a very proud tradition of leapfrogging and we get left so far behind. What? Dial up internet. What? Most people never heard that screech of the modem. We went straight to mobile. And I think that's really where we need to be focused now in terms of building up the skills of young people and allowing them to enter into the digital economy um, as quickly as possible and to turn their skills into revenue so that they can start to pay the bills. So I think there's, there's enormous opportunity um, within the, the digital environments and with, with getting online. But really, we need to firstly make sure that we can provide reliable, consistent access for young people. We need to make sure that they have uh, the skills that they need to be productive once they get online. And then we need to make sure that we're protecting things like our our cultural identity as we're entering into this new digital world. All very important points there, Jason. I feel like you were taking me to church there. That's why we're really excited to get into the meat of our next segment. We have a guest who we know that you guys are going to be really excited to hear from. Thanks, Lavoya. 
I always appreciate the time that our guests offer up to join us in conversation because it gives us an opportunity to show that we actually aren't making this stuff up. And today we're joined by um, Peter Halloway. Um, Peter has worked in the Breda River area for a number of years. He runs the Breda River Skills Center in McGregor, which is a small town in rural Western Cape. And uh, he's joining us today as we talk about the big topic of connectivity and access across South Africa. And I'm sure that he's got some firsthand experience in dealing with those challenges. It's really great to have you on the show, Peter. Thanks again. So first, I'll, I'll start off with the questions. So, Peter, could you tell us a little bit more about the skill center that you run? Right. Um, maybe I should go a little bit back. And that is, I'm a math teacher by trade, but I was working here at the high school in um, McGregor, and I was also the woodwork teacher. And I then noticed that, um, firstly, a lot of the youngsters have no hand skills. And uh, secondly, I noticed that a lot of the young people drop out of school before matric and just disappear off the face of the earth. And that's what actually encouraged me to start a skills training center. My father was a carpenter and a builder. Um, so even though I'm a math teacher, I can also work with my hands. And it's one of my passions. So I really feel um, that schools, in schools, when I was at school, we had woodwork, metalwork, home economics, and needlework as practical subjects and that's all gone by the wayside and that's what 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 encouraged me to start a skill center and the whole idea is to firstly teach hand skills something you can do from home so the breeder center is really about hand skills and, um, and not that we're limited to that we also do a lot of life skills um, but um, and and we have an education section which is a, a preschool and um um, holiday and often activities to help um, um, entertain and uh, stimulate the children, um, especially now where, where schooling is, is interrupted. Um, it's a very, I think it's a very important part. But my passion is the skills development side to actually allow somebody to earn his own living, um, preferably from home. Thanks, Peter. And it's quite obvious to hear how, how, how motivated you are around the work that you're doing. And, and could I ask you next, what are some of the biggest challenges you and your youth face regarding technology and accessibility? Well, um, two things. Um, the first is um, just the cost of um, Wi-Fi um, and any, any uh, data is exorbitant. Um, if you consider the income of, of people um, in, in a town like McGregor. I mean, at the moment, we sit most probably at a, a, above 50% unemployment rate. Um, um, and people go out and they buy data and they their phone has been switched off, the data has been switched off for two weeks, they switch on and it, 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 it just chews up three quarters of the data before they've even been able to use by updating everything on the phone. Um, the second thing that that's a big problem um, is equipment. Um, a lot of people have old phones. Um, very few people here have uh, computers or laptops. And um, so, so those two would be the first stage of it. There's, there's a few other points I'll bring up later, but, but those are the first two. Um, that, that's a huge problem. Um, and one of the things that we've done at the Breeders' Centre is actually look at how can we make um, data 
cheaper. Um, it's it's difficult to to fund it that it's for free, but but how can we make make it cheaper? Um, that that's been one of our big focuses, especially after the start of COVID, because um, a lot of the students are now at home, um, part time, um, at one stage even full time, and they get information sent by teachers and. The same people that have been disadvantaged before are yet again disadvantaged because they don't have data. So that that is one of our major, major problems. Thanks, Peter. I think hearing you talk about those challenges really kind of echoes what Lavoie and I were talking about earlier in that there's there's really a, um, a significant barrier that, that young people are facing. Um, firstly, just to get online and then to be able to navigate the, the digital environment effectively. And I think one of the things that we've seen across the, across the world really is that um, young people are e- extremely resilient when it comes to finding ways to get online. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen young people try to get around this challenge and to, to get online? Well, unfortunately, one of them is, is to... As we often see youngsters sitting outside people's houses and somehow they've managed to <laughs> to find the code of the person at whose house they are sitting um and 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 this is this is the, i've heard there's somebody in town with some app that can can actually break the code um i wouldn't mind if somebody sits at my house because i've got unlimited um, access so it wouldn't really affect me that badly but but that's unfortunately here in the rural areas um, um, the theft of cell phones in houses, that's one of the first things people will take because it's just too expensive. Um, the And I think sometimes in the cities we don't, although there is poverty there, um, it's a different kind of, everybody's salary is sort of half of what it's in Cape Town, but the phone costs the same price. So, so what just happens is that uh, students would share. You often see them sitting on, on, on the, at the side of the road and they four or five of them sitting around one phone. Um, but it, it, it's, it's really um, that kind of thing. Um, we, we try where we can, where we can get access to um, computers, uh, which a lot of people donate to us um, at, from time to time. We then try and gift them, if we can, to um, families where we know that the, the finance is really dire and they're not able to buy it. So, so there is a lot of that. I think a lot of the, the people who work in um, like domestics and gardeners in, in houses uh, of, of people who are more affluent, uh, there's a lot of people who are retired in McGregor. Um, I know that a lot of them are assisting their immediate staff with things like um, giving them their old cell phones, which are good quality cell phones, um, not not a, 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 a very simple cell phone that can't do all these uh, extra things. So, um, so those are those are I think the the major areas, but um, the the cost. Of, of cell phones. I mean, I've had one or two cases of some of my staff who bought a cheap cell phone and six months later, it's not working. So, so it, it really is a problem. And yes, people are resilient, but, um, but I think the, 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 the lack of income just in many cases just 
isolates them completely. In other words, they are just losing out yet again. And this is why we are looking at ways of reducing the cost of, for example, data um, so that that doesn't become a, a, a cutoff, that your income ability doesn't become a cutoff to being able to learn and to be able to um, access um, um, internet, etc. Thanks, Peter. I think you, you certainly highlight the the need for, uh, I think, policymakers and, and certainly the networks to understand the importance of connectivity as really a basic human right. And I think there are, there are a whole lot of issues that are linked to that, certainly even just the function of dignity in that um, you have people that are having to try and find a way to get online to to access basic services and to and to build their skills um, before we even get to navigating the use of the devices themselves. And those those mainstream service providers, what has your experience been with um, trying to get them to come to the party? I know you talk about driving the costs of data down and certainly we've seen some initiatives around data must fall. What has your experience been of... Um, their response to to tackling this issue um very difficult um we have for a long time it's more than a year it was really when COVID started and we realized that we're going to have to go more online with training that we then started to look at how can we access data and it took us a long time and a lot of work to find somebody with a solution um rather than somebody um, who's, who listens to you and say, yes, I understand your problem, but the, you know, we can't do it. It's too expensive or whatever. So what we have done is we have actually looked at funders to specifically fund an organization that is making it possible for young people or for, for people to, to have internet access at a reasonable cost. And we've managed to get it at, a, on, at these hotspots at five rand a day, unlimited. And that is quite something because most of it is uh, one gig, two gig um, data, um, and it lasts just so long that it's gone. But but to have unlimited for five rand is actually um, very good. And we've managed to find such an organization. That's amazing, Peter. And and maybe for, for some of the listeners who, who may be on a similar journey to you, how did you go about doing that? Was it a lot of work? Did it take a few years for you to get that 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 process in and that funder on board? Um, well, it's not the funder. This is the person who will, who will actually set it up. Um, we had to raise funds now to to make it possible. We're hoping that by December we will have four hotspots up and running. Each hotspot, um, one will be at the Breeder Center, but the other three will be run by entrepreneurs who will actually will make money out of selling the data to the clients. Um, so it, it becomes an entrepreneurship process at the same time. And, um, and what we want to do is actually advertise this as much as possible because we had to go search the net until we one day bumped into this organization which is called Isiswe, and they they are offering exactly what we are looking for. They connect with the um, data providers and um, the service providers, and they negotiate um, a contract with them, and um, they help set up the units at these four points so that people can come in and buy for five rand their day's quota. On Mondays, by the way, it will be free. 
Um, and we've got, we had to find a sponsor for that because it obviously is a cost. Um, and that's what we've been busy with. It's the, equip, the setting up of the equipment and um, sponsoring. There will also be 60 uh, high school scholars who will get um, 50 rands worth of data. That's 10 days worth of data plus the four days um, uh, which is free, that's 14 days of data that they will, out, out of 30, that they will have uh, data. So every second day, they, they're insured to have unlimited data for a day. So we thought this was a, an amazing offer. And we actually setting up a conference for February next year, hopefully at the Grand Beck Center, but it will be an online course. And we it's a rural conference. And the reason why it's a rural conference is two reasons. The one is that the transport and accommodation for attending city conferences for rural people is just uh, too exorbitant. And secondly, a lot of the problems we experience in the rural areas are not the same as in the cities. Um, and therefore, we want to connect with the towns around us, uh, our own uh, municipality, but also as far as Bredasdorp, Refuse on the End, even um, uh, Barrydale and so on. We've had conversations with people and we all come up with the same problems um, of which this one that we're talking about now is only just one of them. Um, and the whole idea is to get an organization like he sees where then to be online at that conference so that as many people in the country can hear about this and copy it so that we can st start setting up these hotspots um, in towns and, 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 and just alleviate this, this problem completely. Uh, I think that's fantastic, uh, Peter. I think certainly you've, you, you touch on one of the, the other areas of particular interest for me, which is that of collaboration. So I think where you do find solutions to very specific problems, the, the more broadly we can share those solutions, the better for everyone. I know, I know this is a key issue for you as well, Lavoya. I don't know if you want to jump in there as well. Indeed it is, Jason. Uh, and, and Peter as well. Part of our work here at the Bertha Center is to try profile uh, innovative cases, and it seems like the conference that you're working towards would fall under this. So it would be it would be great for us to to talk about how we could collaborate around that. Just also feeding off Jason's point around collaboration. But the next question I have is, once and and perhaps this is this is something that you may experience in the future. But once young people are connected and and you've given them data and ability to connect online. Do you feel like you, there's still work that needs to be done in helping them navigate the space? What have you guys done in terms of making them feel comfortable with being online or, or has that not been an issue in, in your space? Um, that's very much an issue. Those are the other points I wanted to bring up and that is how to navigate. Um, again, due to the isolation in small towns, one is not so up to date as you are in a city. There's not just a place you can pop in and, and chat to somebody or, um, you know, it's, it's just a little bit more difficult. So definitely how to do an online course. It's completely different from a classroom situation. You've got, you've, you're very much on your own. There's not somebody you can easily talk to in between because they're living all over the place. And and then also the the, the access to free sites. There's a lot of sites available, but just to get access to them, if you've got to go, if every individual has to go and search for them, then we duplicate. And one of my things is partnerships and no duplication. 
I really believe in that. So, so what what I see from this kind of collaboration of the NGOs is that we could share sites that we have found that were effective, for example, for making things or for doing mass lessons or for um, um, starting your own business or something, but that we can share it so that each individual doesn't have to spend a lot of data finding the same place that somebody else has already found. So our whole thing is to now set up facilities to teach people how to use this data effectively and secondly, to have access to that which is available either at a low cost or even free so that they can effectively utilize that with a bit of data that they can afford. Thanks, Peter. I think you, you really are touching on one of the areas for Lavoya and I, which is um, really important when it comes to solving problems. And that's really the, the, the collective effort that's needed. And it's part of the work that we're doing with the the Wadi Colab and trying to bring organizations together to share solutions and to ensure that there is less duplication and unnecessary wasting of resources and spending time to try and find ways to solve the problem. And I think that having an, a mindset that is geared towards partnerships and collaboration is, is really the only way that we're going to be able to solve these problems. Um, and as you said, there, there's so many organizations that are experiencing similar issues and it's it's really difficult to I think leverage that community knowledge and um, for us a motivation and in, in bringing more and more organisations together under the the YD Colab, um, but also to share stories like yours within our our um, our medium and and using this platform I think is is really important so that we can improve the opportunities that are available and and start to address more of those collective issues. So I think we certainly appreciate you sharing the issues that you've dealt with and the way that you've tried to overcome them. And I think some some great opportunity to expand on them with your with your conference um, and, and also looking at where we can draw insights from other organizations, um, in particular when it comes to digital skills and making productive use of that access once it's in place. Indeed, Jason. And and maybe if I can also just direct Sorry, it's just having Peter here is just so fantastic to get this input as well. And Peter, if I could ask you, let's say one day you found yourself sitting in the, the seat of the president and you could change something with regards to connectivity and data issues, particularly for the context that you work in, what would that be? What is the one thing you think that could look to unlock uh, the potential that you see in the young people you work with? Well, it's, it's not an easy question, um, but the access to what is available. Um, you know, we always say education is it should be free and it should be accessible to everybody, but making it free doesn't make it accessible. It is the, we have to make a much bigger effort at the accessibility. And that is the person now has got his phone. He's got his data, but he still can't start his own business. And for me, the um, as as the president, because I don't think it's 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 only a government role. Uh, and my call would be to every businessman to take on at least mentorship of at least one person. Um, 
and guide them in this process, whether it is to, to in order to be educated or whether it is in order to be um, uh, through mentorship being taught a specific skill. Um, but we've got so much knowledge housed in people with experience and people grow old, they retire and they die and that dies with them. And that's so sad. So I think the call would be to each and every one of us to find one person who's your shadow and for whom you will do that uh, as much as you can to help them forward. And I think that that already will uh, make a huge difference to the level of education. Um, my theory is that if, you were, if you're not willing to work three to five years with a person, don't even start. That's, that's my philosophy. Um, because I've learned if a student has left school early and you put him on a four-day entrepreneurship course, all you're doing is you're giving him a lot of hope for about three days until he fails, and then you make him more depressed than he was before. I believe if you start that walk, you've got to be willing to walk with him for, for him or her for three or five years. And, and, and that's a big task to ask, but that is the only way to really have a change. We can throw education at, at people. We can throw facilities at them. We can give them all phones. I don't believe any of those. It is that individual connection between two people that will actually make the difference. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been great to have you on. So now that we've covered some of the challenges and opportunities around the issues of connectivity, I think it's time to take some of your tech-related questions and we'll do our best to answer them. I would like to know um, a bit more about um, zero being, being zero rated and reverse billing and how this works. Um, and especially like in the development space, how can this be utilized um, by organizations? Thanks. Do you want to take that, Mr. Bygate? Yes, happy to. Oh, that's a great question. I think that's there are a couple of options when it comes to um, the zero rating and and uh, reverse billing, which is um, I think a, a more recent addition. Uh, zero rating has always been an absolute nightmare to to try and navigate and to get in place. Uh, COVID has made it perhaps a little bit easier, and there's some formal process to follow. There's you know a form that you fill out and you submit to a Department of Education or Department of Higher Education or Department of Health. Um, in particular, because you're providing as a, a development practitioner or an organisation in the sector providing services to beneficiaries, so you can follow the process and petition through the the various uh, government departments to the networks to zero rate your services that you're providing online. Um, unfortunately, the practicality of that is is that it's often a very tedious process um, and um, can take a, a fair amount of time to get right. Um, the, the internet service providers are certainly, I think, willing to play ball a bit more um, in facilitating that, that function of zero rating. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of organizations that just can't, can't navigate the process and there's still a, a huge, huge demand for, for digital services. And as we heard before, uh, a massive uh, barrier to accessing those services because of the cost of data. So um, to fill that gap, there, there is a service that's provided by um, a company called Data Free. Um, what they do is they provide a reverse billing function where 
you can um, wrap your um, services through a, a URL that they provide and they aggregate the access into the networks and um, um, send a bill to you for uh, the data that's used um, through your through your website or through your, your online service. And some of the, uh, the bigger organizations that have the funding have opted for reverse billing as a first stage on this journey towards um, zero rating. Um, but certainly the costs are still high and um, the networks are, are ultimately where those um, where those cost issues are, are, are stopping. So I think there's definitely a, um, an ongoing need for us to, to advocate for reducing those costs and, and making the internet more accessible and affordable to, to everyone across the country. So what now? Jason, what would you say are the most important things for our listeners and organizations in the development space to consider when it comes to connectivity and, and accessibility? And what would you like to see changing in the next few years? When it comes to um, connectivity and accessibility, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to refer back to the fact that this, this digital divide that we have is really multidimensional. So absolutely, we need to keep, uh, keep screaming at, um, at the networks and, and advocating for a reduction in the, in the cost of data um, and um, you know, pushing the, the, the zero rating agenda. Um, as far as we possibly can. Um, but I think in the interim, we have to try and navigate the landscape that we've got. Uh, we've got to try and find ways to collaborate with organizations like Peter's um, to learn from what, um, where they found solutions um, to promote organizations like, uh, like a CISWARE that are finding innovative ways to provide better access to, to the internet and to data. Um, and then I think, as I said, to, to consider what we do with that access. It's not just about getting online. We want to make sure, especially for our young people, that we're making the most of that connectivity. How are we, how are we building skills? How are we building businesses through that connectivity? Um, because really that's where our future is going to lie. You know, as we're looking at this rapidly evolving digital economy, our young people are going to be the drivers of that economy. And if they're ill-equipped, our future is um, increasingly bleak, I think, is uh, uh, a euphemistic way to put it. You mentioned some, some, really, some really important points. And the thing that stands out for me here is, is, is that they, we just need a new way of going about doing, doing business. And, and this is mainly a call to the, to the organizations and the network providers and to the rest of us operating in society. I think, as Jason mentioned, we need to we need to look at the way we are we are engaging and, and dealing with our young people and 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 tied to that is the way in which businesses go about doing their everyday sort of thing for, <laughs> that's the, probably the least academic word that i could think of but i hope you get what i mean by that and and what the point i'm trying to advocate for is that we need to look at a system that doesn't solely prioritize profit we need to look at a system that looks to advocate for the social and for, for the people that exist within the society that the business works in. Uh, and, and I think that that goes a long way in getting us as a people to change the way in which these businesses go about doing their thing. There's so much more conversation that we can have about this. And, 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 and this is why we encourage you guys to please get a hold of us. And we'd love to take the conversation forward. Yeah, thanks, Leboy. I, I think you've... Um... You've definitely articulated the 
the the depth of the the, the challenges that we're trying to overcome, and and certainly the need for a, a really measured approach and and taking a systems view. So I think that the the issues are are so much deeper than you know, just getting online. Um, and I, I really appreciate you giving us that systems view. And that's all we have time for today, guys. Thank you for joining us on the Talking Tech for Good podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and share this episode with anyone who you feel could benefit. The more we talk about tech and really understand its benefits, the more we can go about harnessing the power of tech for a better world.